Welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 295. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, man, I cannot describe to you how life-affirming this chat was. And it's a thrill for me because I have my 20-year high school reunion coming up. Technically, it's been 21 years, but you remember 2020, yes? Well, here we are in 2021. Things are a little bit better, and I'm getting to reconnect with all these cool people as I'm doing outreach for the reunion. One such person is my guest this week. His name is Tyler Marshall. He is the founder and CEO of EYC Labs. He is the co-founder and managing partner of the Tantrika Institute. And he's managing partner and global VP of product for Texon. What are all those things? We get into them in the show. But what you need to know is Tyler is doing incredible work in tech, in agriculture, in the practice and teaching of yoga. And he's doing it in places like India and Portugal. And his story is remarkable. His journey, incredible. And where it starts is at Bell Middle School. I met him when I was 13 years old. We were seventh graders. We auditioned for improv, which was like literally just about the only program, the only like special after school kind of thing. There was no money in Jefferson County schools. So this was like it. And it was the most popular club that you could get into because you got to do field trips and you got to go talk to elementary schools and you do like sketches for retirement homes and stuff. You got to be out in the middle of the day. Our advisor, Connie Sturgileski, who was incredible, would like take us out to Taco Bell and McDonald's and stuff, which when you're a kid, man, what a treat, what a thrill. And the fact that you get to be away from school, that's awesome. But Tyler Marshall, man, what a dude. So we've known each other since we were 13. I probably haven't talked to him since we both left high school. I mean, we're connected online and stuff, but I don't think we've had a real conversation in like 20 plus years. And so doing that, what a privilege, and especially considering the scope of everything he's doing. I think you'll be fascinated by this journey because it involves entrepreneurship. It involves global travel. We've got a pandemic story in here because I think we're all going to be telling pandemic stories until long after we're all dead. I mean, that's just the way it's going to go. Because the pandemic dominated everything about 2020. How could it not? Right? We're starting to come out of it. And as we emerge, we have to tell these stories. We simply have to. It's part of our shared cultural experience. It's part of our narrative. And so that's in here too. But my God, the things that Tyler has built, it's impressive. And what can I say? I am proud of my high school class. I've got a ton of entrepreneurs in that class, all doing cool things, all finding their own lane all dreaming big, and so many of us were pissy little skate punks too. That's the weirdest part. But whatever, enough blather for me. You don't need to hear me wax philosophical or wax romantic about my high school any more than is necessary. You're going to get plenty of that here going forward. But what I want to do is focus this episode on Tyler Marshall. What I'd like to do before we get there, just one quick plug, no matter what podcatcher you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or even Pandora now, recently got added to Pandora, if you would be so kind as to just leave us a rating, leave us a review, those are things that help the visibility of the John of All Trades podcast. It also helps our credibility. When you go to a podcast and it has 
like a bunch of good ratings, you go, oh, okay, this seems like it's worth my time. And hey, as long as you're there, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. Episodes are generally released on Wednesday. I know that this one is an exception, but generally Wednesday is the day. Exclusive episode previews are on Facebook only. That's on Monday. Go to J-O-A-T pod on Facebook. Now then, let's get to episode 295. I've got Tyler Marshall. He is a global entrepreneur, the founder and CEO of EYC Labs, the co-founder and managing partner of Tantrika Institute, and the managing partner and global vice president of product for Texan. His episode starts right now. So let's get the important stuff out of the way here first. In seventh grade improv, which we were both a part of, we did a sketch for parents' night where our parents got to come see us, and I played your father where you were wearing gigantic Genko pants. Oh, God. And so two questions I have for you. One, do you still have those pants? And two, how have things been going, son? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I actually, I, I vividly remember that night. Weren't, weren't we at the uh, the Air Force Base in, um, no, that was another night because we did we did like a parent in Ackman at the Air Force Base in Colorado Springs one night. But then that other uh, parent's night, I do remember, and those oversized Genko jeans, it's so funny you bring that up because actually my father in real life, God, he, he despised and loathed those jeans. <laughs> yeah, and you had us write that looked, bit into the sketch. You're like, make sure yeah. you make fun of my pants. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm happy that I was humble enough to like draw attention to like making fun of my own pants. That was cool. That's hopefully something I still, uh, you know, embody to this day. But I remember, um, you know, really quickly getting off the plane. He lived in Los Angeles at the time. And so I'd fly back and forth from, uh, you know, from Colorado to Los Angeles, which, you know, for me being, uh, being a teenage boy, 12, 13 years old, he was in the movie industry. He was a director. Yeah. And uh, he was actually at that point, he was the director of Baywatch of all shows. And so, you know, side note, like I, I remember it was so surreal growing up in a, in a reality where on the weekends I would fly to Los Angeles and visit the set of Baywatch and have lunch with Pamela Anderson and then like get back on a plane and come back to Golden, Colorado and try to live like any type of a normal <laughs> existence was, was wild. How I'm even standing here having this conversation, I have no idea. Um, yeah. But uh, I remember getting off the plane uh, at Van Nuys Airport and like walking across the tarmac, you know, because it, it was a smaller airport. And so, you you know, you get off the, at the jetway and walk across. And I was wearing those same Genko jeans. <laughs> and my dad saw and he lost his mind because I was about to go and meet, you know, some of his Hollywood friends and, and things. And I mean, they were they were monstrous, both in form and function. And <laughs> And I remember like walking towards him and his jaw was just on the ground. And like my stepmother was like mortified. She like, wouldn't even like look at me straight. And, and I was just like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's okay. Um, but really like it, yeah, it, it wasn't okay in so many ways. So no, I don't have those jeans anymore. Actually, gosh, I, I miss the Genko era, the Genko fad. There were so many great things about that. Well, like, dude, really, you could, you could smuggle a VCR in one of those things, like it, in the back pocket. I probably did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, but those, yeah, those, those, those things those were days. insane, man. They were, they were just enormous. My parents would never let me get them. They were the, I mean, they were the hot shit. When, yeah, when we were like were. 13. Yeah, they, they, they certainly were. But then thank God I discovered BMX bikes and got really, really into that because I learned that they were too baggy to ride a bike with because the pant leg would get caught in the chain and sprocket. And so thank God the, 
the bike saved me from um, what otherwise would have undoubtedly been just like a horrible, horrible path in life filled with Jenko jeans and hacky sacks <laughs> and how to make other things. I'm not dissing on any of those things, sure. by the way. It works really well for some. Uh, but for me, I'm happy that personally, I went in a different direction. So, you know, that, that talk that you gave me in seventh grade, John, Dad, <laughs> uh, it really... <laughs> It really had an impact because, oh God, I, I mean, high school is insane, you know, and like we're about to have our 20 year high school reunion, yeah. which um, we were just chatting a few moments ago before we jumped on here. But like hearing those words spill out of my mouth when I share them with people, I told a few people that over the last couple of days that I'm about to have my 20 year high school reunion. Like it's crazy. And that's what makes this podcast so special is like we have so much sort of like common Totally. you know, back history and, and a bit of rapport there. And like you knew me and I knew you in our, you know, real formative years. And like in, in junior high, like I was just going through crazy, crazy shit. Like as we all do, sure. uh, yeah. you know, trying to, trying to find ourselves, find our way. And I remember that improv was really one of those aha turning points for me. And it was something which I realized a bit later, but I really had, other people looking out for me. You know, I had teachers at our school who I I feel as if saw some, you know, potential in me and they, uh, you know, maybe had some back channel conversations and thought that it might be in my best interest to join that type of a group. Cause I was really going in a, in a direction that, you know, probably wouldn't have ended too well if I didn't have a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of assistance there for people who like could see the bigger picture. Right. Like a little bit of structure, a little bit of cheerleading, a little bit of, Championing. Uh, I mean, Miss Sturge was so nice, dude. I mean, we got to give a shout to Connie Sturgeleski. She was just a beautiful, beautiful soul. And it was so cool. Like, improv, I tell this to people, I'm like, improv was like the cool group at Bell because, like, you got to take field trips in the middle of the day and you'd get to go and, like, talk to elementary school kids. And then Sturge would take you out for, like, McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever. And like you got yeah. to be like really cool and like elevated, so I I loved it, and it's so cool we got to do that together. Yeah, man, so cool we got to do that together, and I just remember the bond that we all had was like so special. You know, I mean, it was so special because like outside of like the daytime field trips, we also went on like the weekend field trips and things like that. But you know, I think back on like the things that I learned along the way that led me to where I am now, and I'm you know really fortunate to be involved in some some really amazing things um, these days. And when I look back, like, you know, improv, for example, was so much more valuable than, or it had so much value. Um, I should say, I wouldn't say it was so much more valuable, but like, cause it was all, you know, important. But what I learned in improv in terms of how to communicate and how to communicate freely and to think on my own and have confidence in my communication, but also to, to sell an idea, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because the whole concept of improv is you're on stage and you're improvising with a certain topic. You're given a topic and it's like, okay, one, two, three, go. And you, um, you know, then you have someone else kind of a counterpart to play off of. And that's something that, you know, really has served me um, over the years and just having confidence and being able to speak to my ideas, but then believe in my ideas. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes I believe in an idea and then I have to, to sell it. Um, or it's the other way around where like I have to sell an idea and I don't quite believe it yet, but then through, no. you know, really 
getting behind it and, and chatting to it with, with who I'm chatting to on the other side of the, the fill in the blank. Um, it really helps. So yeah, I mean, I figured we were going to get a little bit into, into improv. Sure. Um, so, so here we are. I'm glad you brought it up and, um, yeah, I'm excited to see some of the other people here in a couple of weeks when I'm back in the USA for, for, uh, for a high school reunion. Hell yeah, man. Sure. Well, dude, it's so funny because improv is really useful in as a listening exercise too, because you may go into a scene with an idea, but if your scene partner just bridges off of something else, you can either reject that and go in your own direction, but that doesn't make for a good scene. If you're listening, you can build on their idea. It's the, it's the whole yes and thing. And it's, it's a super interesting and valuable skill to have. And what I'll say is, so this is Tyler Marshall. We have known each other for, good Lord, more than 20 years now. So we were like 13, more than 25 years we're going on. Um, and this is the first time I think we've talked in, God, man, how long? Uh, I mean, high, for, Probably for high sure, school? high school, since before high school. <laughs> so, yeah. and you are, you have a lot of titles and I'm interested in the journey on, in how you got there. <laughs> So you are the, the founder sure. and CEO of UIC Labs. You are the co-founder yep. of Tantrica Institute, and you are the yep. global vice president of product for TechSun. That's a lot to get into because as you know, as you sent me your materials and like, hey, here's what I'm up to, I looked at this, I go, dude, you are involved in issues of global importance, of spirituality. You are serving to, to help try and change the world. And so I don't even know what entry point is appropriate to get into all this because I'm fascinated <laughs> to hear about all of it. So wherever you'd like um, to begin, I think I'm okay with. Sure. Oh boy. Yeah. Where to, where to even start? I mean, you know, I think, you know, it's rare that I have an opportunity to talk about any of this, obviously. Um, that, that honestly, surprises me. Uh, like, honestly, that surprises yeah. me because it seems like you'd be kind of an in-demand speaker. And I know you've been a keynote expert. Well, you've well, done, you've done Ted talks and yeah. you've done, uh, all sorts of things, but that's maybe a little bit more specific. Are you referring to, you don't get the chance to talk about this in a general way? It, yeah, exactly. In like a broad sense. And so I am, um, you know, I, I travel all over the world speaking on some of the different technologies that, you know, that my company builds and deploys. Um, you know, I've spoken a lot in, uh, especially Southeast Asia and in India. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a U.S. delegate for United States agriculture and emerging markets, um, and specifically the deployment of, of modern technologies in emerging agriculture markets. And so I meet with the governments of India and Nepal, specific states within India and Nepal specifically. And, you know, I do a lot of work in um, policy formation, a lot of work in trying to find solutions to pain points that, that are highly complex. Um, you know, you're trying to take legacy, we'll use agriculture as an example, but you're trying to take legacy farming and bring it to a modern state where you have so many layers of um, not only technical challenges, you know, talking about getting data to, you know, rural areas and power but also bureaucratic and political and sometimes corrupt layers as well that stand sure. in the face of, you know, ev evolution in these markets. And so I do a lot of speaking on sort of niche topics, but rarely, you know, do I have an opportunity to speak about, about all of it, you know, together. And so this is, this is really special. Well, so let me ask you something yes. real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as you're talking about agriculture, I mean, I, 
in my day job, I do a lot of work in public policy and in particular mm. around natural resources, so energy and agricultural issues. And I know that in the U.S., property ownership is sort of a unique thing, or at least it looks different here than it looks in other parts of the world. And so I imagine that taking legacy agricultural issues and almost coming at it from an American frame has got to has got to cause people pause and it, it makes them rethink the the ways in which things do work and the ways in which things can work. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, it's 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 actually interesting because I had to unlearn everything that I knew from being in the United States sure, and being yeah. a business owner and, 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 you know, property owner in the United States, I had to learn all of that before I could really be effective in these other places because the rules which apply in developed countries do not apply in these other countries. And so like, you know, I think that my, my journey with UIC Labs started about three and a half, almost four years ago when um, I had an idea for just, you know, agriculture, like, a set of agriculture technologies that I felt could really help improve farming in these rural areas, um, you know, decrease energy consumption, decrease water, decrease fertilizer dependencies, but increase productivity. And so I went to India with a, you know, a full head of steam thinking I was going to save India and, and uh, um, you know, that I had all the answers, you know, nice American gusto. And I got there <laughs> yeah. and it took me, it took me probably a year of living in rural India. Um, I was there for, you know, a year straight of truly learning the pain points and truly learning what is challenging to them, which are, they're, they're problems that you can't apply the, the framework of thinking or the, the, the solutions that we know, you can't apply any of those rules there. You know, you're playing a whole different game. Can, can um, you give me an, an example of that? Like, a, for instance, of something that is fundamentally different about agriculture in India versus agriculture in the U.S.? Yeah. For one, it's so poor. Um, you know, just, just the income that farmers earn um, is, is so low. And there's such a disproportional split between what crops are sold for in a market and what a farmer is paid because there's so many people in the middle. Uh, um, and so if, if you're trying to sell a product or you're trying to deploy a solution, you need a buyer. And so, or you need, if you don't have a buyer, you need a means of spreading that solution um, on a, on a level wide enough to make a difference. Right. Well, if your target consumer, if you will, um, or your target user can't even afford to pay the bills that they have at the moment, then trying to implement any type of technology or reasoning or way of thinking that applies in the modern world that has a completely different economic laws of economics, um, you have to unlearn all that. And, right. and, and so you have to, you know, start coming at things from a, from a different way. And so the way that, you know, for, for example, like we were able to get, you know, really good, success after, you know, I started looking at it in terms of, okay, like what are the different classes of farmer in India? You have rural, you have commercial, um, you have enterprise, and then you have like an investment class of farmers, people who want to invest in, in, in agriculture and, you know, get a return in the same way that they would invest in the stock market. And so when I started breaking it down into these layers, I was able to start to develop unique products for each of those, la uh, those layers or unique solutions, if you will. Sure. 
Um, and speaking about the rural layer in particular, because that one was and still continues to be the most difficult, it was only when I started tying up with, with government programs that I was able to get the type of channels of distribution or means of distribution where they could be the vessel to put it out into the farming community through the use of subsidies and other things for there to be adoption. And it's kind of like a chicken and an egg because, yeah. you know, you're, you're not going to get, you know, massive gains in, in, in farming, um, both in terms of quality and quantity of yield. You're not going to get these massive gains unless you have radical improvements in infrastructure and technology. But you're not going to get those radical improvements in yeah. infrastructure and technology until there's more revenues there to support the adoption of these technologies. And so, unless <laughs> you have some some like strategic partnerships that you're able to work out along the way, right, um, it makes it really difficult. Okay, um, so to I, to that yeah. end, to compare it to something in the U.S., it reminds me of the conundrum facing electric vehicles right now, where. Mm they don't want to invest in the electrical charging infrastructure until there's enough capacity of cars to support that, the investment in that infrastructure. But the problem is you can't get people to buy the cars without the necessary infrastructure so that they feel confident that they can charge wherever they go. So to that end, they're kind of intractable problems because you can't have one without the other and you can't really start one without the other. So I totally get what you're saying. That's that. Very tough to unpack. And then you, you're right. And that's a really good example because then it's not only like if that could be like the superficial or the surface level or the surface layer problem, you could say. But then underneath that, you have the oil companies and you have the lobbyists and you have the special interest groups who pump sure. so much money into keeping petroleum as a key fuel source that transitioning away from that you fit you face the same issues with with solar energy right like transitioning right. away and like you know transitioning off the grid like that is putting a lot of you know talking about legacy like that's putting a lot of legacy processes and systems and 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 tracks of funding and revenue at great risk to move away from that and right. so only when you also satisfy those special interest groups in some way or incentivize because it's all about incentives. You know, if you show any one or anything an incentive, you'll see the result. And so you can't only just increase the infrastructure of charging stations and now you can have more cars. Like you also have to address the dependency on oil. You also have to address like all of, you know, this, you know, these systems that are in place in order to move it forward. And so that's something I learned, you know, um, over the years of, of sure. working in this, this field. Um, you know, what was that? But, you know, unique to India, and, 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 and emerging markets. I mean, you have other things too that you don't, that you, you might not have seen in the U.S. until right now. And that's, um, you know, what, what is big in India and rural farming markets in Asia that I'm now starting to see in Europe because currently I live in Europe. In fact, right this second I'm in Portugal, I'm at our retreat center. So Tantrika Institute, it's our, um, you know, it's our retreat center for, for classical, uh, classical yoga. We can get into that here in, in a little yeah, bit, but, yeah. uh, what we're starting, what I'm starting to notice here, just because I have the context or I have the frame from being in these, um, you know, these rural markets is you have youth migration, you have the kids or the, the children who are moving away from the villages in search of something that they think is better, a better life. And social media is just wreaking havoc on these developing worlds because, you know, these, these kids who would have a really good life in the villages, they would have a great life in the villages. 
they see social media, they start comparing themselves to what else is going on other places in the world. And they start leaving the villages. And especially in India, you have, you know, everyone leaving to go to like Bombay and Hyderabad and Mumbai. Well, Bombay and Mumbai are the same thing, <laughs> right. but, um, but like you know, the, the bigger cities. And what happens is the villages start to atrophy because the people who can carry out the next evolution of, of, of farming and really continue the, the progression, you know, it's, it's, it's not there. And the same thing I'm noticing here in Europe now is you have these villages where you have so much charm in these European villages and they're just, you know, I, I can see that they're just becoming desolate and more, 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 more sparse. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, you need that anchor of, of youthful, passionate, energy to 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 really make a change so i don't know how all that will pan out you know it's 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 really interesting um well, well tyler one, doing, one yeah. thing i want to ask you about is and, and a couple of thoughts here one i like to ask people what percentage of the population in the u.s they think works in agriculture and it's roughly two percent so there's two percent mm-hmm. of the population basically feeding the other 98% of the population. So agriculture is incredibly important. And I don't think the American system writ large treats American farmers with the respect or gives them the due that they should. So to that end, you're right. One thing I will say, though, that, that has got to be challenging, especially with social media, is I think it's natural to want to bristle against wherever you grew up. I think that's just part mm-hmm. of growing up. Where And social media exacerbates this problem because you can see people ha- experiencing different lives and doing different things. Living in a small-town village can be very stifling. I mean, how many of us dreamed of getting away from Golden High School and getting away from our hometown of Golden, Colorado? Uh, you have traveled... Yeah, I mean, I'm the... <laughs> You're the poster <laughs> child for it. You know, yeah, really. Traveling all over the world, like doing all sorts of interesting things, so... To that end, it's hard to fault some of these people for wanting to get away from their... Mm-hmm. Like, they've known the world is this size for a, a long, long time. And wanting to get away from that, I think, is natural. But to your point, how do you incentivize people to want to continue this? Because there is cultural value in that and also personal value in you know living in a small village and maintaining the character as well as you know providing people the food that they need. So... Do you do you have reaction to that? No, only that I'm I'm realizing the hypocrisy of all of the words that are spilling out of my mouth right now. Because yeah, when I was when I was 18, I mean, I I I left Golden so fast. Um, and, <laughs> right. I mean, I wasn't even. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even out of high school yet, and I was I was in downtown because I felt a calling uh, to go to go elsewhere. Um, and you know, I never I never really looked back. Um, you know, I kept just moving along on my journey. You know, my my circles just keep getting bigger, um, and now you know I'm, I'm so dispersed out and out on the planet. It's it's hard. I mean, there has to be anchors um, to there has to be anchors that can can draw you back to your 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 local community. But you're absolutely right because you're 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 fighting something which is natural, and and it's natural to want to leave the nest, right? Like it's it's natural. It's a natural animal instinct to want to travel and explore the world. Cut your own path. Um, yeah, exactly. So like one of the things, so this is kind of cool. Like one of the things that we were doing is we built uh, a drone monitoring system uh, for, for India where you could have um, a camera 
on top of or mounted to a drone and we built the camera, it uses NDVI uh, indexing um, that takes like thermal imaging of plants. And you're able to um, tell like disease and pests and deficiencies of plants. Well, that information can be of great use to a farmer, but the farmer can't necessarily afford that kind of technology. Right. And so we're, we're able to do is we're able to rent the, the um, drone out sort of like an Uber model. Um, we're able to rent the drone out to a cooperative of farmers uh, to be able to, to monitor their crops. Well, one thing that we're doing is we're employing the kids who are digital natives in some of these in these villages, um, you know, who grew up with video games to actually uh, pilot the drones. And then that starts to create a buzz. And it, it you know, it's, it's a first step. Like you can't, you know, you can't solve the problem, but you can just, you, you can take steps in the right, right direction uh, to, you know, address the problem. And so for us, like, we're just, we're just always trying to actively think about like, you know, if there's a list of 500 pain points, which there are that many in these, in these, in these, you know, markets, how can we start chipping away at a few of them and make just enough of an impact where we feel like we're making a difference, you know, and, 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 and we feel like we're doing that, which is, which is really cool. Well, Tyler, I'll tell you an example because I have two small girls, they're four and six. And so I've seen the movie frozen two more times than I can count. And there is a song in it called the next right thing. And sometimes all you can do, you don't know where to go next. You, you're stuck. You feel a little bit hopeless, a little bit you know, downtrodden about wherever you are. And you can look at the 500 pain points and go, this, this feels insurmountable. But to your point, sometimes all you can do is the next right thing. And if you mm-hmm. keep doing the next right thing, put one foot in front of the other, climb up that mountain just a little bit at a time, man, you're right. You start chipping away at it. And you're making incremental progress. You, you turn around and you go, wow, we've come a long way. I mean, the summit is still quite a ways from here. But that's not to ignore the incremental steps that we've taken in the interim. And that sounds like what you're focused on. Yeah. And what's really helped a lot is over the years, my, my ability to appreciate working with people who are a lot more you know, talented and, and smart than I am because in those times where you're trying to find the next step, you know, it's, it's, it's great to partner with people who also see a common vision, but have very different skill sets yeah. because in those times where yeah. you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other and take the next step, you can be held and supported by your team. And, you know, the last few companies that, that I built that are, you know, doing really, that are doing, you know, really cool stuff with, I didn't build any of it alone, not even close. Um, and so, you know, my agriculture technology company, UIC Labs, was actually just acquired by Texan, which is the same company that I'm VP of product for. Got it. Um, and I'm a managing partner of that that company now as well. So EYC Labs got brought into the infrastructure of, of Texan. So it's all one company. We have about 250 engineers now. Um, and so... Um, the founder and CEO of Texan was my business partner. He was my co-founder and chief technical officer in EYC Labs. So he was there from the very beginning of that business. Okay. And he's Indian. Um, and all of my business partners in EYC Labs are Indian. Um, I'm like the token white guy. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we were able to, you know, collectively build this. I had a vision, but I partnered with people who were the best at what they did in their field. So when I, I felt like I was out of moves. A lot of times my, my partners were able to help me with that and vice versa. Yeah. 
And so it's just been sort of this, this ladder game over the last few years to get us to the point where we are now. And actually, you know, one of the things that um, is I'm coming back to the USA, partly, of course, because of our high school eating, which is super exciting, but also we're opening up a, a new office in, in Silicon Valley because, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, business, a ton of business in the U.S. right now. And so this is going to be one of the first times that I'm back in the States in years. Wow. Um, but it's going to be really nice. Yeah, it's going to be nice to go back. And, and my partner and I, my business partner and I were, you know, opening up this new office. But it's just been this this incredible journey of just do, just doing the next thing as best as we can and trying to just stay true um, you know, to our, to our moral compass. And, and we have shared morals, we have shared ethics, we have shared common vision, but like I said, very different skill sets. And, and, you know, the value of that is just, it's incredible. And so, you know, in parallel to, to building this technology business, which, you know, I wasn't proficient in technology at all. Um, I just had an idea and I was able to partner with engineers who were brilliant. Of course, over the years now, I've, you know, come quite a long way in learning about, you know, different technologies. You can get deep into that if you want uh, a little bit later, maybe, but like only in working with them was, were we able to get to where we are now? And it's the same thing with Tantrika Institute right now as well, because, you know, the, the study and practice of yoga has always been something that has been very close to me. Um, And in fact, in 2015, uh, when I left the States sort of for good is, is the way I see it. (laughs) Um, my plan, this is really funny, but like my plan was to only leave for a month. Um, I think, you know, we have our common friend, uh, Shahara, of course. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, I remember meeting with her before I left in like 2015. And I was like, I'm going to go to India because she'd been to Rishikesh, the place that I was going to. And in 2015, I had just exited my, uh, I had built a media company in the cannabis industry in Colorado. And that was like the last big thing that I did in Denver and in the U S and, you know, I was at a point where I had worked so hard and so much and found a, you know, a reasonable level of, of, uh, material satisfaction. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, I was trying to exactly material success. Sure. Um, but I was, I was at a point where I was like, okay, like I'm going to pause and I'm just going to do something that's so outside of what I know, but I just feel intuitively that I should, you know, take that first step in that direction without having any idea of what's going on out there. Just take that step. I was like, I'm going to go to India. Why not? I'm just going to, I'm going to go to Rishikesh, which, you know, in the yoga world, if you know of India, um, you know of Rishikesh because it's, it's where a lot of like the teacher trainings are and things. Um, And so I bought a a round trip ticket to India um, for 30 days later. And when I went, I never came back. Like I missed my, <laughs> I missed my flight um, coming back on, on purpose because I just, I, I ended up going so deep into the practice and study of it. And I ended up tying up with a school that has a two year program uh, that, that goes really deep into classical Hatha yoga, um, into the, the, the philosophy and the scriptures and, and these things. And so, uh, you know, I started studying and I ended up taking this two year this two-year course, um, which was a full immersive. I mean, it was six days a week, you know, practicing, wow. you know, six to eight hours a day. Um, now, some of that practice was study, of course, but I mean, right. it's it was it was insane. Um, but in in doing that, and that led me to Thailand. I lived in Thailand for a year and a half because they had one campus in India and one campus in Thailand. So I was, you know, the first six months I was in India, and then I went to 
to Kopangan, which is, you know, paradise. I lived on this island in the Gulf of Thailand for a year and a half, just like, you know, surrounded by it was like the movie The Beach. Like it really oh, was. Sure, yeah. like, and if in fact the movie The Beach, um, it they are on the island of Kopangan in, in the movie. Like they even say we're going to Kopangan. And so um <laughs> that was the island that I was on. But like I was I was going really deep into this this you know study and practice of yoga. And and through that I was, you know, long story short, I came in contact with the person who, um, with, with a teacher, um, he's a, he's a PhD scholar in, in Sanskrit and, you know, he's one of the modern greats, um, right now of classical yoga and, and classical Tantra, uh, which we're talking about classical Tantra. There's huge misunderstandings about what Tantra is in the first place, similar to how, what yoga is in the U S is very different from what yoga really is. You know, there's a, there's a big, or I should say the physical aspects of yoga doing asanas and movements and things. That's, that's a very small percentage of what yoga truly is. Okay. It's a very broad. Yes. Before you get into that. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm interested in that because I mean, I've done a little bit of yoga. I've done a very bastardized version of yoga here, but I, I was thinking as you talked about, just packing up and going to India. So you have this cannabis media mm. company. It becomes an inflection mm. point for you to where you you say, I need something completely different. And you felt intuitively that. And I'm reminded of a quote from, oddly enough, you're, I'm sure you get this all the time, but from Denver Broncos linebacker Carl Mecklenburg, who said... Ah. <laughs> as he, oh, I love, I love that we can talk about Carl Mecklenburg right now. <laughs> that's right who I saw him speak one time and he said, I was never the fastest guy. I was never the biggest guy. I was never the toughest guy. I was never the smartest guy. But what I learned was if you take the first step in the right direction, all of the angles will change in your favor. And so I thought that's a great metaphor for a reading what the offense is going to do and positioning yourself correctly, but also a terrific metaphor for life where if you take that first step in the right direction, all the angles will change in your favor. And that becomes a very serious inflection point in your life and set you on a brand new trajectory. And in a lot of ways, I mean, if you want to take this to its logical extreme, if you do that as a defense, you're going to make the play that you need to make at any given time on the field. If you take that first step in the right direction, which is exactly what you did. And I find that fascinating because a lot of times we will make that step and we're not entirely sure why, but it feels like the right step. And then all of a sudden the world looks different. You go, I see this from a brand new angle in a way that I never could have anticipated. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, part of it is, you know, part of it is just courage at the beginning. Uh, but the other part of it is just having belief that there's something greater out there, um, on the other side. And so, you know, to, 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 to keep, you know, talking some Broncos vernacular here, Terrell Davis, sure. You know, he, um, I can imagine, uh, that something that was hit in his mind, I haven't actually heard him say this, but, um, hit the hole as hard as you can. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a running back and you're trying to punch it through the, the offensive line, you don't half step it. You don't, you don't go halfway. Like you go as hard as you can, not to try to make the biggest impact right then, right. but because you have a sense of what lies beyond. Yeah, And so it's that same sort of thing where like taking that step in the right direction, hitting it as hard as you can, the angles 
change the world opens in your favor the so, world opens to, to yeah. your point i mean gail sayers used to say all i need is 18 inches of daylight so one of the greatest mm-hmm. running backs of all time you get 18 inches of daylight he will punch through that hole and then he's off to the races so that exactly mm-hmm. same kind of metaphor that you're referring to and Man, dude, you yeah, you punched through that defense, and now you're. It feels like you're in the open field. I'm sure there's been obstacles and all sorts of interesting and intractable and almost paradoxical problems along the way. But once you get in the open field, it's a different kind of experience. Sure. Well, and I just like I have enough confidence now in we can say myself that I just feel like whatever situation I'm gonna whatever situation I get myself into, like I'm gonna. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and, and not only that, like I'm going to maximize the opportunity and that's not material, you know, that's maximize it on so many different levels, but like maximize the opportunity where it can be transactional. Like, am I providing value and am I receiving value? Am I providing something? Am I receiving something is what I'm providing greater than what I'm receiving. And as long as I stick to that formula, which is more transactional than commercial, right? Like a commercial yeah. transaction can be more, I, you know, I give one unit of value and I received one unit of value, or I give one and I try to extract as many units of value out of that as possible. Yeah. Like that's a formula that might work for some, but I find that if I continuously just try to give more value to give more of myself, then everything else works out. The opportunities are there, the relationships form, uh, my needs are met. Um, and it just, you know, one thing leads to another and that's how, you know, Tantric ends too. Like I'm, I'm sitting right now and, um, you know, I've got three acres in the beautiful Portuguese countryside right now. We have a, you know, a, a five bedroom villa and it's, it's, it's gorgeous. And we opened this business in the time of the pandemic. Wow. Um, and we're flourishing. You know, we've got an online, um, an online community, an online school, and we have the on-site yoga center here. We have a retreat next week where we have 26 people coming from around the world, uh, which we sold out, you know, like that. And, uh, and we've had to do all of this in a time of a pandemic, which has just been insane to get creative and problem solve over the last 18 years of building this company and to still remain afloat. And we'll get into that here in a few moments if you want. But my, yeah. my point is like, you know, I met, I met my business partner here and this sort of comes back back to what we were talking about a few moments ago about, you know, surrounding yourself with, with other people or who are your, your complement in, in, in some ways, but your opposite in other ways. And so for him, like he's, you know, he's a scholar and he's, he's a, he's a great teacher of, of, of classical yoga. Um, and he wanted to open a retreat center. He has a huge community. He's written many books. He has a big following around the world. Um, and, you know, he wanted to open this. Well, we got connected. And so, you know, I ended up partnering with him. And then, you know, I, you know, was more of the business side of things. And he's more of the, the, the public, you know, front facing side of things, of course, because he's the teacher. But it's been really cool because it's sort of the opposite of, <laughs> sure. um, you know, what I was doing previous where I was the, you know, front face. And then I had other people, you know, supporting as well. Um, but it's so neat because it's it's been able to allow me to keep, um you know, something which keeps me so grounded uh, in terms of, in terms of yoga, like it's, it allows me to keep it front and center in my life every day where when I'm working in more like corporate settings or in corporate structures or dealing with 
you know, corruption in foreign countries or dealing with governments or dealing with the things that I deal with, um, I'm able to stay grounded in my, my practice. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, so it's really fortunate that I've been able to kind of like, you know, construct all of this, I, I guess you could say. No, absolutely. And to your point, it's easy to get drawn to people who are like you, but to build a successful team, you need different types. So, I mean, let's let's keep talking about the Broncos. You can't have an entire team comprised 22 players. You can't have John Elway 22 times. That team is going to get blown out every single game. You can't have 22 Terrell Davises. You can't, like, imagine a, uh, a team comprised of nothing but kickers, right? Like, that's never, ever going to work. You need people doing different jobs with different skill sets, and they all complement each other. And you hope with a shared vision that you all get there, bringing your unique skill sets, complementing each other, lifting each other up when you can. And what's interesting to me is I think there's – and I suffer from this sometimes too. I mean this show is called John of All Trades. I tend to be maybe a little bit too solipsistic in the way that I view my business and how I should be successful. And I haven't always played well with others. But the fact that you recognize that value has, I think, been validated by the size and scope of the projects that you're involved in because they're different from each other, but they're all, I mean, worthy of acclaim and, and very, very impressive. So in terms of Tantrika Institute, man, you opened that during the pandemic. I did not know that. And so yeah. <laughs> take me that through that. Crazy. Like, how did you all navigate sure. that? How did you problem solve it? Boy, well, we didn't mean to open it in a pandemic. The pandemic just happened. So we, um, I, I came together, um, you know, with, with, with my business partner, uh, October of 2019. Oh boy. And so COVID wasn't really a thing yet. Like it was, you heard maybe murmurs, Yeah. but we, we didn't certainly didn't see what was coming. And, you know, for all we knew, the global economy was very strong, which it was. For all we knew, it was going to continue trending in a very positive direction, which it likely would have. And, you know, because I work in technology and I work so much in global trade, I work a lot in logistics with China and Taiwan and India and a lot of these other foreign countries. Like I kind of have a glimpse behind the scenes yeah. on what's going on with policies and regulations that shape a lot of the global economy before it actually, you know, hits the newspapers or becomes like, yeah, you know, before news, it comes to fruition. Yeah. And so, you know, I felt comfortable um, taking on this project when I had no time. Like I didn't have time to open a yoga school or a retreat center or any of this stuff. Like I'm, I'm running a tech company. Sure. Well, and, and by the um, way, <laughs> I, I've done this show enough times now where when someone starts a story in fall of 19, the story immediately becomes kind of a horror movie in my head because I know what's coming come January, February, March of the following year. I, you know, it, and I'm just always curious, like how that punch actually lands that first time because, and it always does because we all sure. lived through 2020. So I just, I have to yeah. note that just because I've heard that a number of times now and I get this like feeling in the pit of my stomach. I go, uh oh. Like the, the obstacle yeah. is coming here. Like I, I can see the iceberg ahead and I, I'm always curious how, how people are either going to avoid it or hit it and recover whatever, but sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. 
No, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. And like, so we, one thing that business taught me or one skill or one, you know, bit of awareness that I have is you've got to diversify the ways that you can get to the people who you're trying to reach. Right. And I know that sounds simple, but like, think about a restaurant, a restaurant industry got decimated um, in, in COVID, which um, I haven't been in the States in a long time, but I'm not sure how it's going, but that's going to be slow to recover. The restaurants who were able to act quick or think quick and act quick um, and think of other creative or unique ways to get to their customers, their diners, were the ones that were able to stay afloat. And so going back to what I spoke about a few moments ago with EYC Labs, of once I started looking at the market in different segments, and then I started getting creative of how do I reach each of those segments in a way that best serves that segment. Like now I'm not trying to just do one thing, put all my eggs into that basket and hope it works well. I'm coming yeah. up with a, a, a broad plan to not, not dilute myself. Like it's, it's very focused and strategic, but a broad plan where it's not too wide. I'm not trying to cast too big of a net where I'm going to be diluted and just not make any sort of a difference, but like I'm strategic. And so when we started Tantrika Institute, we thought to ourselves, you know, we're, we're going to build a retreat center. And, um, you know, this property in Portugal just came to us. And so we were like, okay, we're going to have a retreat center and we're going to have a, you know, physical presence somewhere in the world on site to, to be face-to-face one-on-one with our students. One, but two, we're going to build an online learning portal so we can reach everyone where they are in their homes. Now this is before COVID of course, but online learning, you know, that's been a trending technology for quite a long time. If you look at Udemy, if you look at, um, uh, you know, there's, there's quite a, quite a few teachable, there's a lot of platforms. Um, you know, LinkedIn does a lot of, of, of learning. If you look at the trend, like online learning, um, and even as, you know, an alternative to college, alt MBAs and things like this, like that is a huge industry. And it was in 2018, it was in 2017, it's trending up. And so we're like, if we build our own custom online learning portal to house all of the teachings and we have this onsite retreat center, then they can kind of load balance each other. We can get out to the world via the online learning portal, but we can invite people into our world via the retreat center. And so what we did was we were going to kind of go hard on the retreat center. Um, and at the beginning of, uh, at the end, at the end of 2019, which was October, November, we purchased the villa. Um, and we just started road mapping and we built out the calendar for all of the retreats in 2020, you know, a retreat a month, boom, 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 boom. And then in between the lead retreats, you know, which are five to seven days, we were going to have, you know, personal retreat where someone could stay for three or four days on their own, come and go. You know, I built this, I can get pretty elaborate with the revenue models that I build. Um, I'm a big numbers person. So like, you know, we built these beautiful projections and everything looked wonderful on paper and, oh, we purchased this villa and now, you know, we have um, this huge uh, asset on, on our books. And, and, and then we're like, and over time, we're going to start building the online learning portal as well. Ah, yes. Well, Mike Tyson, yeah. Well, Mike Tyson, <laughs> he, he has a famous quote. Um, you know, everyone has a, a well laid out plan until you get punched in the face. One of my well, favorite quotes, January by the way. Comes. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And so January comes and all of a sudden pandemic international travel starts to become uh, impossible. 
And now we have this retreat center in Portugal that it looks like we're not even going to be able to, you know, do anything with until who knows when. So what do we do? Well, we had already put the put the ship in motion to build the, the platform. Actually, all of my engineers from my tech company built the built the online learning portal from scratch. And so if you go, it's not a plug, but if you go to our site, tentryinstitute.org and, and check out the online learning portal, you know, we built all of that from scratch. And so what we wow. did was we just went all in with the online learning portal and the existing community that we already had, the existing students that we already had. And we just invested everything we could, investment of time and money and resources and energy into making the best possible content, the highest possible quality, and trying to get it to people in ways which were accessible, trying to get it to students in ways which were accessible to them in the time of a pandemic. If you try to, you know, come with with premier pricing and a lot of these things, people are tone deaf. It's a pandemic. You can't do that. And so right. we had to just be very real about what is the situation? How can we how can we best address that situation with the team that we have? You know, the team that we have is incredible. And and thank God, like, and we had this library of content that his name is Harish, Christopher Wallace. He has this, this library of teachings that are just incredible. And so we were able to populate the learning portal with so much content and, and turn it on that our online teachings is what it's what it was like our bridge, right? It got yeah. us from there to here. We had, you know, about 12,000 students online um, that, you know, joined wow. our courses. And, uh, you know, so I would yeah, almost 14,000 now from when we turned the, um, from when we went all in with our first online course, our first online course was January of 2020. Um, that was the first online course that we did. And so from then to now, we've had about 14,000 people come onto our platforms. And, um, you know, that got us through last year. Um, and then I actually, I came to Portugal in April of 2020 because that was the first flight that I could catch out of the U.S. And I had to get to the, the retreat center because we were still investing in, you know, building up the infrastructure here. So I caught a flight and came here. And, um, you know, slowly... The, the, temp, the global temperature started to change last year. And um, in August, we were able to do a soft opening uh, for people just to come from Europe. And so since last August until now, we've been slowly opening back up. The winter got a little severe again with cases and international travel. So, yeah. we, you know, we actually closed from December to through January. But now... Um, you know, the world is fully open again. And just two days ago, well, it's, it's, it's not fully open. It's, 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 it's in progress of reopening and yeah. it's looking really positive. But just two days ago, um, the Portuguese government now is allowing U.S. travelers to come to Portugal for the first time since the pandemic started uh, for, non, or for non-essential travel, so for tourism. So as of two days ago, tourism is now allowed here, which is crazy. And it's it's incredible, and so now we're able to you know start ramping up the retreat center the way that we wanted to do before, and so now we sort of have this convergence of of online which sustained us, and now you know we're able to start ramping up our our center here to to do what we what we really wanted it to do. So it's a really special time. Um, and like I said, in a week I'm coming back to the United States, so I'm not even going to be here for the retreat next week. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's, it's, it's a wild, it's a wild time. Well, Tyler, I'll tell you this. And we, uh, sadly, we got to wrap up because I, two things I want to say. One, I feel like we've barely even scratched the surface here. So I think we're going to have to do another one of these at some point down the line where we're going to talk about more of this. And two, you have built so much here that is incredible. And I'm going to have you do plugs in a minute where people can learn more about all of these ventures, but you are kind of remarkably low-key and understated about it, which uh, your, your level of humility is remarkable because given what you've created across the world and what you're doing in terms of trying to spread good, I think could lead others to have a, a fairly large ego about it, but you seem remarkably understated. What I'm getting from you is just high doses of humility and gratitude. And so I think that's a credit to everything that you're doing. And I just, I I wanted to tell you, this has been thrilling getting to reconnect with you because the work is incredible. And the way you talk about it is just, how else do I say it, man? It's like life affirming. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to get to feature you. And so what I'd love for you to do now is to uh, to plug all the businesses, anything you want to plug, sure. where can people find it online? Do it now. Sure. Just to touch on that really quick, because I think it's an important point that I'll plug away and I know we got to wrap, but especially over the last few years, I mean, I've just, I've seen horror. I've been in places that are undescribable, unthinkable in terms of the poverty and in terms of the quality of life and what people on this planet experience. And that you know, people who can't improve their situation, they can't because of caste systems, because of social constructs, because of so many factors. And because of that, you know, I feel just compelled to just show up and hit that hole as hard as I can every day. (laughs) There you go. And it's, it's, I'm not doing it for me, although I get so much pleasure out of it. Like I love the, the process of creation, but like, it's not to feed my ego. It's because like, I feel obligated because I can like I grew up in a country that, you know, allows for freedoms and allows you to build yourself um, in certain ways that if you wish to, you can take advantage of that and you can go and do something with yourself and and your life. And so, you know, that's what I, I just try to do fully every day. And yeah, I mean, just waking up with gratitude every, every morning uh, is, is the first thing I do just, you know, literally writing out like I love journaling but just writing out like what am I grateful for you know it's that simple and it just keeps it all in perspective and it keeps me hungry to learn and to learn and to learn to try to just keep you know giving more value than I receive so thank you for that in terms of you know where you can find out more um techsun t-e-k-s-u-n.com is our technology company um and that's where you can find out everything related to tech technology you know we, we build tech for for our clients and so if anyone's looking to have anything built in terms of an electronic device or a platform or anything like that you know you can go there um in terms of the online school i just said a moment ago tantricainstitute.org is the name of our site um you can find us online uh social media at tantrica institute um, on all of the platforms same with Texan at Texan. You can find EYC Labs at, at EYC Labs. You can, at EYC Labs, it's actually pretty cool. You can go and you can check out like an account of a lot of what I just talked about, me traveling through these countries, me experiencing all of these different things. Wow. And if you go to 38state.co, the number 38, S-T-A-T-E dot C-O, that's my personal website. And it's just 
my just my narrative of of all of it over over time uh, and that's 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 a pretty cool site to check out so. that's phenomenal what i'll do is i'll put links to all of that on the john of all trades companion blog piece that'll run with this show that's john of all trades.us j-o-n of all trades.us also in the show notes so if you're listening on itunes stitcher Spotify, iHeartRadio, and recently got added to Pandora, so that's nice. Um, check it out there. You'll find links to all of that there. As long as you're there, give us a rating, give us a review. And Tyler Marshall, man, we started, we didn't start as father and son, but in that one sketch, I got the privilege of doing that. It was, I mean, we hit it off pretty quickly, I would say, when we were in improv together. For sure, man. And the fact that we get to cross paths again and we got this reunion coming up, everyone's really jazzed for it, which I'm excited about because, you know, we've been in lockdown. It's been hard. And I think when you look at our class in particular, you have a lot of entrepreneurs. And who would have thought that all these pissy little skate punks like we were would all go on to do <laughs> such, you know, Interesting and cool stuff because there's a ton of entrepreneurs in our class, and anytime I get to feature one, I, it's a personal thrill and a real privilege and an honor. So I cannot wait to see you in real life and in everything that you do. I wish you continued success. Ah, uh, cool man. Yeah, I can't wait to see you too, and I can't wait to be back in the states. And just thank you so much for for asking me to to be a part of this. Like I said, it's really rare that I get to have any type of conversation, which is, you know, sort of me explaining me. And so it's been, it's been really fun and even a little bit challenging. So thanks for the opportunity. And, and I look forward to, yeah, doing another one. If you, if you feel it's, it's uh, I feel if it's a fit. And that'll do it for episode 295 of the John of all trades podcast. With Tyler Marshall. What a show. What a dude. I cannot wait to see him in real life. I think he is back in the States. Now I see him in a little bit less than a month. So Tyler, thanks for taking the time. I hope you all check out all the plugs that he had. As long as I'm plugging stuff, may as well plug John of All Trades on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. New episodes are released every Wednesday, generally. Episode previews on Mondays on Facebook only. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Anything you're doing in the communications space, John of All Trades can help you, whether you're building a coalition, doing earned media, or maybe you want to start a podcast. I consult on those all the time. I've got a brand new show starting in a couple of months. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you need to get the message right or deploy it in the places where the people who need to see it are, 4Degrees can design that strategy for you. So, online marketing, social media advertising, building a website, creating a slate of campaign materials, whatever it is, 4Degrees wins awards for their work. They've been with me from the get-go. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm out of here for this week. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're getting back out in the world. For the love of God, I hope you're vaccinated. Wherever you are, I adore you. Thank you for making me a part of your day. I cannot wait to hear you again. Until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.